Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 119. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, performers' unions. Equity is the biggest performers' union. It is there to help the rights of performers in all areas of the arts. I got on two guests this week, and I get them to fully introduce themselves at the start of the podcast, but basically Michael Day, who is the London Variety Officer, and Louise Granger, who is in charge of marketing events and training at Equity, came on to discuss the pros and cons of joining their role within the Me Too movement, the areas they want to improve on, the way they communicate with comedians, what they offer, what they don't offer, and what you get for your membership money, and so much more. If you're a performer who isn't a member of Equity, or you're a performer who is thinking about joining Equity, or even just someone who's a professional who's thinking, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm a bit annoyed about how, uh, how some promoters don't pay on time, or uh, I'm owed quite a lot of money from that booker. Uh, I think I need to, to get some representation to help me out with that. These are the people that do that. And here's how, essentially. Um, I learnt loads from it. I've been an equity member for a number of years now. And it's one of the most useful things I have, really, uh, as I use it largely from the insurance. I pay, I can't remember what I pay a year. It's a hundred and something pound a year. And that covers me for all the festivals I do throughout the year. This year, I'm doing, what, 12, 15 festivals and a load of other shows that I'm doing separate from them, but just around the country. Links in the show notes if you want to come and see my new show. Every room becomes a panic room when you overthink enough. Uh, It's going to be at the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, I, I, I really like Equity. I really think they do a good job. I think they have areas to improve on and we do cover that and I really enjoyed learning more about what I'm paying for within a year so I hope you get a lot out of this as well if you're new here please don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you're old here please do remember to give us an honest ideally positive review in iTunes and either way please do join the Facebook group it's called Ask the Industry Podcast and it's on Facebook obviously but for now this is Michael Day and Louise Granger so I'm Michael Day. I'm the London Variety Organiser is my job title. So I have national responsibilities for the area within the union called Variety, Circus and Entertainment. That includes comedians, it includes lots of other things, circus, jugglers, street um, performers, uh, stilt walkers, burlesque, anything like that. So, so within the union there's probably about 10,000 members that do that work. The London part of my job title is that I do legal casework within London 
and visit workplaces within London. So that's about right. Uh, need anything more more than that at the moment? No, that's everything. Okay. okay, well, I'm Louise Granger and I look after marketing events, training and services for uh, members. So I don't do the industrial negotiation stuff, but I do deal with things like um, members' general advice or some of our specific services around training or some of our things around like uh, mental health. Uh, careers advice services, job information service, anything that, that is service oriented rather than what we would call industrial, which is when you're into rates of pay, um, disputes about contracts, that kind of thing. That that would be Mike's side of it. Cool. Um, so I've, I've, I think the best place probably to start is um, what equity specifically does for comedians and what they don't do for comedians. Okay. So I'll start with that then. Um, Equity's always represented comedians, um, but it's only really recently that we've got a group um, which we call our Comedians Network, which we can engage with more closely and look at their issues more closely. So that was founded in 2015, and it's partly on a Facebook group, and there's monthly meetings of a, of a core group, and that's us looking at the issues that are going on in comedy at the moment. On a sort of individual level, we do legal cases for people when they've been cancelled, when they've not been paid, and we provide, as part of membership, public liability insurance, which is something that comedians do generally need because they're working in an environment where they're, they're doing their own act, and if, if their mic comes off and hits a member of the audience, they could be sued and have to pay damages. So there's those those sorts of things. I was I was going to ask a quick question that came off of that. Then yeah, um, a lot of performers when a gig's cancelled, and say yeah. for example they've they've made travel preparations or hotels in some cases to, to yeah. stay overnight, uh, are slightly worried about reporting that even though they are meant to be compensated because they might get blacklisted or not booked yeah. again. How does that work within equity? Well, blacklisting isn't legal for a start, but it's true mm. that um, comedians do feel vulnerable about making a fuss about things. So I think a lot of them don't do it because they think they won't get another job from that promoter again. And um, possibly that there's some truth in that with, with some promoters anyway. But they are entitled to it legally. And if they can come and talk to us in the first instance and um, we can help them make a decision as to whether they want to go forward with it or not. Sometimes they don't want to work for that promoter again anyway and they'd rather yeah. just have their money they don't want to be messed around again mm. so I mean we do get quite a lot of uh, legal case work for comedians for those circumstances mm. so yes I would say to anybody do talk to us we won't necessarily take it further if you don't want us to and it's it might ultimately be a commercial decision as to whether you want to pursue it or not mm. I suppose are you keeping track of say for example a promoter repeatedly is cancelling things Yes, we would have um, a record of, of every claim made. So um, if we know it's happening a lot, then we could be saying to people, look, it's time to do something now. Mm. And um, you've got six years to do it as well, really. That's the thing about contract law. You don't have to mm. do it straight away. So you could save it up until you've fallen out with that person completely and then take it up if you wanted to didn't know that so it's like a small claims court type thing but yes that's right that's ultimately where we take it if um we can't get anywhere through negotiation yeah so, so i just add on so if you don't feel strong enough 
to deal with it at that time or you aren't feel you're in a more vulnerable position if it was might says you you want to hold on to that but keep all the information about it keep the emails keep the documentation and so on and so forth then when you are perhaps more established or more confident in the industry or whatever then you know as long as it's within six years mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, what misconceptions do people have about what you do? Like, what things do people think you do that you don't actually do? Oh, can I do our favourite one? <laughs> our favourite one is equity should pass a law. Oh, okay. We can't actually pass laws. We lobby, right. we campaign, we put pressure on, we take issues about arts generally and specific um, performer groups or sectors to government. We influence, we do all of that, but we can't actually pass a law and that's a very common one that we hear another thing we get is people somebody's stolen my joke somebody's ripping off my material that's quite a common thing um i think a lot of the comedians out there on the circuit are kind of quite honest decent people and don't want to um you know breach someone else's copyright or or they want to come up with their own stuff they don't want to um, rip off someone else's um but a joke can be covered by copyright. It has to be original and it has to be significant enough to qualify for copyright coverage. Um, but a lot of the time, a joke is just something that has been passed around and it's too insignificant to be covered. So a longer sort of anecdote type story might qualify because it has to be, um, you know, like an artistic work mm. and. Um, you know, knock knock, who's there, etc., isn't an artistic work, and it's um, probably already being passed around. You know, playgrounds and clubs and and things already anyway. So it has to be your original work, and it has to be significant enough. But equity don't cover copyright claims. If we did, we wouldn't be doing anything else. That's the reality of it. We get asked about that a lot. Okay. So um, we we can advise people, but we can't you know pursue a claim through the intellectual property court so yeah because yeah. you guys have legal service providings that yes. you can do for people so yeah. what what is that specifically is that like you have lawyers in house or you just have contacts with people that are specific to arts lawyer well we use lawyers if we need to but but staff are sufficiently trained to use small claims procedures uh, if we need personal injury so if somebody's been had uh, injured and it's actually the fault of their employer then we pass that on to a firm of personal injury lawyers that we use okay um, but we do the contract claims and we do <coughs> employment tribunal type claims but not for comedians they don't tend to fit into the employment tribunal scenario so with those cases it tends to be dealt with um before you would get into a formal uh, tribunal or a formal court case, we tend to just deal with them on a, hello, we're equity, let's talk to you, Mr. Promoter, Mr. Employer, Mrs. Promoter, Mrs. Employer, or whatever, and just get this sorted out. This this all makes sense then. So, because in 2017, we were talking about how you guys tried to formalise contracts a bit more yeah. for clubs, yeah. and it makes sense why you would want those to be standardised if that's a lot of the work you guys yes. often have to come across. That's right. Especially if it's, if because you've got that contract, um, you know, the, hang on, let me get the name of it, I don't want to get it wrong. The comedian standard contract, yes. the three page thing. So I suppose if, if a lot of promoters were using that, you at a glance could tell yes. if we've got a case, which makes everything a lot easier at your end as well. It does, because otherwise we have to look through a, a chain of correspondence, which might be partly by text message, partly by email, partly on Facebook and then piece it all together and work out if a contract was actually made. So mm. 
What the promoters do tend to do, though, in terms of the contract, is rather than actually physically use that template for every single booking, they agree to sign up to the terms and conditions and then just complete the deal using email. So that tends to be an easier way for promoters to effectively use the contract without actually going through all the admin of filling in a form every time. And that works fine for us as well. Perhaps we should explain a bit how it came about. Well, it wasn't sort of you, me and anybody else sitting here just going, we think we should do this. Yeah. It, was, it was devised and worked on and collaborated on with it, with our comedian network. So, you know, professional comedians absolutely influenced what went into it. And, and yeah, because that's how we work. We don't just sit there and go, you must. We try and work more collaboratively with the relevant artists, relevant members. Yeah. So how is that going? How, how many clubs are using it at the moment? How, how are you policing that clubs have started to, to enforce it? Are you? Yeah, it's, it, it's a fair number. It's not as high as we want it to be. Um it's more in the sort of 25 to 30 sort of area at the moment. Um, and we haven't had any issues raised from anybody booked by any of those venues. So it's basically, it's the good guys using it really. The case work I am dealing with wasn't done on those standard forms. Um, but I suppose there's an opportunity that once the claim's been resolved with those ones, we can go back to them and say it would be so much easier. We could have avoided all this if you'd use the contract. Mm. But we would have to ask our group whether they thought that the promoter or club was a good one for us to go into an agreement with, whether they're going to honour it or whether they're just going to sign up to it for their own benefits and then not really stick to it. Do you have like a promoter network then some of the comedians network people Will are promoters yeah, i yeah. think it's just the way the industry is people yeah. do both don't they a lot yeah. yeah um so i think it's largely those the artists as well as promoters that are using it mm. so it's always interesting that there's fear about doing something properly you know, fear about having a framework, having a contract, because um, Equity it's, is our 90th anniversary this year. And when uh, performers got together because they were just fed up of being abused and messed about and mm. contractually destroyed, and they decided to make a stand and make a difference. <clears throat> and so 90 years of experience, obviously not personally, but of um, introducing structure and frameworks into sectors that didn't have them or weren't particularly keen on that idea has shown that actually over time those sectors then do start embracing that because it saves time it saves money it saves grief it saves all sorts of upset to be rouse it gone forever just to have a framework to work to mm. and it's that simple really everybody knows where they stand and what they're doing but also do you on the flip side of that as someone in within the circuit mm. I think it's not uh, I think probably with some people it is a fear of changing it or even going with something so formalized because I think I mean I, I sometimes compare the circuit a bit to like fight club because we're kind of all sort of working in the evening and then we see each other in the day and we sort of go mm, but we don't talk about the gig you know and 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 I suppose it's sort of this uh sort of the systems always kind of work not properly but it's kind of so I feel like everyone's a bit like well if it's not fully broken yet mm -hmm. why try and patch it Mm. if that makes sense yeah yeah no that does make sense but then it is comedians who are coming to us saying mm. we need something we want something because i think you know it is a sector an industry that is just changed so quickly 
mm. and continues to change more and more quickly mm. you know um, and I think there is sort of an internal feeling that, that now it's at a point of needing something mm. a little bit more professionalised perhaps yeah, yeah. so that people do know that if they've driven all afternoon to get to a gig that that gig is actually happening yeah. and what happens if when they get there and they're told it's not you know what what are their rights? What can they do? And to have confidence around that. And I think I think some of that yeah. framework structure is is you know it's coming up from the grassroots that this is what's wanted. Well, what, what about the other way around? If I was a promoter and I had a comedian who cancelled, and I was a member of Equity and they signed that contract, could I take them for a fee? Yeah. Well, the the, the thing is about um, if you're claiming damages off somebody, you have to have actually suffered a financial loss so the promoters are in a bit of a position where there's is a buyer's market if someone lets them down fairly late on they can still get someone in to cover right and therefore their financial loss is making that phone call or maybe paying that person a 10 pound more than they might have had to pay the original person or something like that so it's not really going to be worth their while in pursuing that comedian for that £10 difference or whatever they'd be legally entitled to. But yes, they would be entitled to, if it's a breach of contract, they would be entitled to take action if they suffered a financial loss. Usually they don't because they're, say if it was a big name that pulled out and they had to refund loads and loads of tickets and all that Mm. sort of thing, then there would probably be much more of a financial (laughs) loss there and they, they might be inclined to do something about it. In practice, what most do is think, oh, I'll, I'll think twice before booking that person again if they think they've let them down for a not very good reason. Yeah, I mean, if it was a good reason, they, they might well have sympathy. Mm. If it's because they're getting 50 quid more for performing somewhere else, then they might not be so sympathetic. Yeah, it's very much a seesaw thing because at a certain level, the promoter has all the control. And then at a yeah. certain point when you're famous enough, you kind of have the control because they they might not want to pursue it as well because they'll be like, well, I have lost out, but if they come back, I I don't want to lose that business. That's right. So there is some give and take and there's nothing wrong with there being give and take if Mm. it's fair. Do you know what I mean? You know, if it's always the artist that's suffering, Mm. then it's not fair. Yeah, it's a very very abstract thing because fairness is sort of very subjective to the situation yes. um, yeah. and that's kind of where you guys come in I suppose yeah I think part of it is because the the fees aren't massively high are they so if someone's only being paid 50 pounds it, it's easier to pull out of than if they're in a you know six month run in the west end being paid 2,000 pounds a week or something it's like I mean a contract's still a contract yeah but you know the, lo- the low fees are probably a factor in thinking why somebody might not want well might might choose not to do a job you know it's about how valuable that is to them if they get a better offer yeah because it depends on which is quite often what happens you know it depends on Mm. the club so like if you're doing a weekend club you could be between like 150 250 pound for the the set. and so to my mind that would equate say you're doing two grand a week or whatever yeah it would equate to roughly the same thing but just for one night yeah so so it's interesting that maybe certain promoters if the fees are so low and if you're a comedian and the f- your pay is so low you're like well what am I gonna like mm. why would I benefit from this yeah so th- those sort of paid gigs at that rate are, are you know more likely to be honoured aren't they mm. basically if it's 150 200 pounds you're much more likely to uh, to want to honour that whatever that's you know it's going to be for a somebody who's a, a promoter who's a higher reputation or a club that's a higher reputation that you wouldn't want to let down whereas you know 
anyone can call themselves a promoter and book a room above a pub for for nothing and you know rely on just getting the room for you know bar takings type Mm. of thing can't they so yeah what do you think are the most underused features of a membership of equity for a comedian um yeah you you go ahead go ahead with that one well we have all these sort of on the services side there are things that i think we do that probably would benefit comedians but um so we have our free training resources which are all about business skills and comedians absolutely run themselves as small businesses yeah and you know i mean i think they're a fascinating artistic type if you like because not only do we create their own work write their own stuff observe everything get their own gigs travel you know do all the tax the whole lot they have to do everything in ways that certain other performers don't so um we do a lot of free uh business skills training it's um the website's uh, feutraining.org federation of entertainment unions because we do it collectively with the musicians union and the writers guild and the nuj national union journalists the government pays for it so why would we not have everybody using it so it's not just a membership thing that's it is a, you have to be a member oh, but you okay, have to so belong to one of those those unions um right. and we pull together because musicians comedians have in common a business skills need mm. so there's no point each union reinventing and no, investing when we can do it collectively yeah. so there's stuff on there about how pitching negotiating uh using social media for your work and not just your mates um use building websites uh, channeling people to your website how do you do right because just you know having one sitting in space is no use to anybody if people aren't looking at it tax returns business planning goal setting all of this stuff it's all completely free a lot of it's online um through things like webinars Uh, it's aimed very much at freelancers so it recognizes the fact that freelancers when they're not working have lots of time but no money so they don't have time to pay for training they don't have money to pay for training or or spend their resources in that way there are e-courses there are actual get together in a room courses but they're all short there's nothing longer than a day so it's very flexible and it's completely free so we would say that's something that's underused perhaps by comedians that they don't know much about that one we've mentioned the public liability insurance which i think most comedians do know about but we also insure all our members for accident so on the premise if i break my leg i have a job so i'm Mm. still going to be able to work i'm still going to get a salary whereas most performers who have to go on stage tend not to be able to do that with a broken leg the accident insurance pays out what people are getting better so it's like 152 pounds a week to for up to 12 12 months for example so that's one that people don't really know about i think they don't Mm. use enough does that make the cost of your membership the next year go up like a premium type thing of insurance or is that no our members set the fees um every year we have an annual conference and at that conference there will be about 200 people who are all representatives of branches committees our democratic structures if you like usually there is a a proposal about the fees i think the last time it went up by two pounds a year something like that they're never going to be huge increases they never are and it's never going to be down to the individual's subscription to go up because they've made a claim there's no 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 claims bonus effect type of thing that's a very good point so what else don't people i think people could try to get along to a network meeting as well i I think um they could they? they could probably be better advertised because what what the network have done now is they've they've set meetings for every month this year apart from august obviously because everybody's away doing something somewhere (laughs) yeah i think we will try to publicize them more and people should come along because we've just had one this week. There's, there's sort of one every month 
as I've said, apart from August and December. Yeah, and they what? are the opportunity for professional, you know, comedians to yeah. come in to the room, sit down, talk about what's going on, raise issues, come up with solutions, come up with ideas. You know, why that's, wouldn't that's the point of why that. wouldn't there be one in August in Edinburgh? Well, well, there might be. There might be. Oh, we, yeah. we have <laughs> done... There's only one here. We, we, yeah. we, we have done them the we last couple of years. We have done things in Edinburgh for mm. comedians. And to be honest, they've not had a huge turnout, which okay. you think they would. But then you have to stand back a bit and look at what is going on in Edinburgh and everybody's rushing around. Mm, if they're not on stage, they're desperately trying to get people to come to their show, the flyering, the process, the press, everything. It's just yeah, you know, terribly difficult for people to go, actually, I will now take two hours or an hour out of this, you know shift my focus mm. and and so we found that that actually quite challenging mm. yeah so the first one the we had the first one we had probably 2016 i think and we've yeah. probably got about 20 people there which considering how many comedians there are in mm. edinburgh that month but some people say well you shouldn't hold it in the afternoon you shouldn't hold it in the morning yeah, the, you shouldn't yeah. hold it in the evening you know, well when when do you hold it yeah, well it's no it. time's ever going to suit everybody mm. yeah. so we did our best mm. um and we've tried and different times and we've tried different venues but they're all it's absolutely bang central mm. edinburgh venues we're not saying come out to leith or anything so <laughs> you know we try to make it as easy as possible but i just think people are just too wrapped up in in edinburgh and the festival and everything that goes with it and that's entirely understandable yeah i thought you were going to say busy and i was going to say they're not busy they're just wrapped up in their own ego for that month they're either asleep (laughs) or sleeping we quite encourage that people should get some sleep during edinburgh Mm. yeah yeah because we do quite a lot of work um around uh mental well-being Mm. and actually at edinburgh one of the things that comedians do come to is our sanctuary space which we run which is a comp- it's we run it with the fringe society and it is a completely quiet silent space with a massage therapist and bean bags and just nothing to do with the nothing to do with edinburgh at all so we don't let people you know use a mobile phone or do any of that stuff in there it's a real curl up and just take t- complete time out and defrazzle a bit because people get very wound up at edinburgh and very stressed and very tired it's an understatement, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, some, and we do have people who say, we say, so, you know, what's your accommodation? They're like, they say, well, I'm sharing. I go, and then you dig a little bit deeper. And what they mean is, is that there's, they've got the bed from 10 till 4 yeah. and then somebody else has it from 5 mm. till 1. And it's like, that sort of sharing. So mm. actually mm. the chance to just lie down somewhere, the blanket over you and just chill out for a couple of hours is, is, has become quite important. So the sanctuaries, yeah. we do get a lot of comedians into the sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I had a, a couple of friends last year that were renting either side of a bed to make it work, and it's yeah. crazy. But yeah. it, it, it's a buyer's money. I mean, it's a pay-to-play festival. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's something they don't advertise well enough, because mm. I think everyone thinks, oh, it's this amazing arts festival, and it is, but it's also a pay-to-play thing. Yeah, effectively, the artists are paying for it, aren't they, yeah. really? But there has been a, a movement that we shouldn't interfere with that, that that's as it is. And Edinburgh's one of those things we shouldn't, try to change anything because we uh, I think it was probably about five years ago that we got a, a low pay no pay organizer yeah. a specific person that was dealing with the subject of no pay there was concern then well are they going to going to stop Edinburgh because there was even stories mm. in the stage about you know that if everybody had to get paid mm. Edinburgh just couldn't go ahead well people it, wanted it break it, people yeah. want people seem to want it to go ahead mm. um, yeah so there was no there's never 
been any movement to try to kill it off i mean ideally people would get paid properly it wouldn't be one of those yeah. things that is effectively subsidized by the artists it's, it seems the balance is even more wrong than when it started are you talking about spots on shows or are you talking about the actual show itself well by the time you have to get up there get accommodation and then say if you were doing getting money from collection in buckets or that sort of thing mm. and if you're paying for promotional material and all those sorts of things getting flyers handed out you're going to come away having made a massive loss which is people choose to do that in the hope that their show might get picked up and they'll get a massive amount of work out of some people have mm. you know so people see that somebody has started an amazing career having done their show in Edinburgh. That's effectively what people do. They're paying to go to a trade show, Mm. show their wares to people Mm. in the hope that it'll go somewhere and it can happen. So all the while that's a possibility. I think people seem to be happy to go ahead with it, but a lot of people are saying, oh, I just can't afford to to do it this year, you know. It's interesting because we were going to get on to your your stances on on pay-to-play gigs and free gigs and charity gigs. And and where was it? It was in 2017 you guys uh, put out something basically not having a go at but saying if you're going to be doing a gig at a professional yeah. level or if some or if the promoter is getting paid you should be getting paid yeah and i think there was a lot of misinformation uh, floating around about that because because yeah. a few people told me varying things at the time and it sort of confused me where i was a bit like well the the open mic circuit is perfect for people who've never done a gig before yeah. why should in a weird way why should they be paid for their first gig because yeah. they're probably not going to be very good in the nicest mm. way possible yes. and also i don't think anyone's getting paid you know like the promoters are getting paid the bar might be making money on a tab yeah but that isn't i don't think that's necessarily always going to cover yeah. the fees so so maybe it would be good to talk about the differences you've got when you're talking about pay for comedians for gigs they're yes. doing or, or even open spot progression things because some comedians do unpaid tens at clubs in order to show what they can do to get work down the line and and where do you guys stand on that and what are you trying to do with the industry within it okay well we're we're absolutely fine with the free spot within a paid bill that people use to get their feet into comedy basically that that's all fine nobody disagrees with that what they don't want is for that it to become the norm that they should be doing a gig and not getting paid that's the thing that as long as it is progression everybody's happy with it i mean i would go remember going to see comedy where there's free spots sort of you know 25 years ago or more it was quite common that you'd have a paid lineup and then they would say oh this is this is next five minutes is somebody who's got a new act you know be nice to them sort of thing and and then later you'd see them somewhere good like jonglers being paid a a good fee because they've developed their act so that's fine and and um comedians are also happy to go somewhere where they can try out new material and don't necessarily want to be paid massively for that because they see that as part of you know trying out their own jokes and it's as much for them as for the audience Mm. um but what our what our um network don't like is uh bringers for example then they're not mad on that where people have to bring along a certain number of people to a, a gig who've paid for a ticket um oh, okay so you're okay if it, the bringer if it's a free show and you have to bring a friend but if they had to pay for a ticket to come along well sometimes they have to you know sell so yeah. many tickets at such and such a price oh no i'm just distinguishing between because yeah. there are some bringers in london which say you have to bring one friend but yeah. it's free entry and then there are some that go bring a friend it's five pound for it or whatever it is for a ticket yeah well i think bringer gigs in general are not so both those you're not on board with. Okay. I think the model they they would like is 
total transparency, you're paid a fee to do your job or it's a free trial progression spot within a paid lineup and that the punters are paying to get in i think they they prefer a ticketed audience mm. to a free audience i mean with, um, with bringers i mean eventually you're going to run out of friends i have yeah <laughs> well, you are, you're not going to be able and in and if part of the position route path that you are that gets you onto that stage to perform is you have to bring a load of people with you and you've run out of people to bring you You'd can't hope. perform so so it is just so flawed in every possible way you know it's like You'd hope by that, by, by you know, the point of, let's say, a year of doing... I mean, I don't think anyone would ever do bringers every night of the week for a no, year, but no, no. Let's, let's say you did one a month for a year. You'd hope by that point you would have progressed to a stage where you would do gigs that weren't but, bringers. Yeah, but I think that, that's... I'm not the defending concern. them, I'm no, just no, saying... No, 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 but I think yeah, the concern yeah. is that things are changing so that actually that progression is not really happening and people are just being asked yeah. to keep bringing and keep bringing no matter yeah. how many gigs they've done or what stage time they've got under the belt or whatever. Yeah. Because there are some promoters mm. who just see this as a really easy way. And, and it's also seen as yeah. discriminatory as well yeah. because the sort of people that are going to be able to bring people are likely to be those sort of young single people, those who haven't got caring responsibilities, children, etc. They're not going to be the ones who are going to be able to find people to bring along. They haven't got a massive friends network. Once you get into that position of having a family or caring responsibilities, it's going to be harder for you to get your mates to come to a gig, mm. isn't it? Because you've, you're doing different things in your life at that stage. Yeah. So it, only, it mainly suits the, the younger, freer... Lonely. Yeah, <laughs> person who's still really living at home. I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> me, me is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it does throw all those sort of wider ramifications and, and problems, really. Yeah, but progression is great. Getting, you know, as, as Mike was saying, spots to try out, to develop, first time on the stage, all of, second time on the stage, all of those things mm. go from five minutes to ten minutes. What you know, build. That's a but start getting paid at a and point the, where was, you've built and you are progressing otherwise you're not really progressing yeah there no, comes a point where you stop progressing and you're just being exploited totally yeah yeah I understand and that. the sacred thing also is the Friday and Saturday nights where they would expect to get a proper fee you know if you're doing Tuesday night or something that might be more of a time to try out your new material rather yeah. you don't want to be doing that for nothing on a Friday or Saturday no so that's of course. so yeah as long as I mean, I mean we've got people on our comedians network who've who've never done a gig other than been paid a guaranteed reasonable fee because they've been you know they started in yep. the 80s or whatever when the circuit was new and they've stuck with it and then we've got the other end of the the scale people who haven't yet done their first proper paid spot you know it's always been a a bringer or, or a bucket collection or something like that nobody said to them we're going to give you this fee to be a comedian on the night Without asking your peers, how do we know if we're getting paid a reasonable amount? Because if you've never got paid before, yeah, twenty quid all of a sudden seems oh that's amazing. But it yeah. might be that every other act that month got fifty quid or something. Yeah. You know, like how how do you know that you're not being? I think think you can look at the the economics of the actual gig to know 
how big the room is, whether tickets are being sold for a certain amount, or you can see lots of money being put in a bucket, lots of notes rather than coins at the end of the night. And, and you can see whether people are drinking a lot and you can you can sort of imagine whether you're being ripped off or not. Yeah, but you won't know until you're there. And by that point with the contract, it would have been sorted. So yeah. I'm wondering if you guys advise, if you're the middle spot at this certain club, we know yeah. this is roughly what the pay is. Or, yeah, or, we, or is we do have difficulty with that because there's an organisation called the Competition and Markets Authority which prevents us from telling people what they should expect to get because that's like a a rate fixing because if you think of each each comedian is effectively their own business Mm. it would be like businesses colluding to charge a minimum rate so so we're restricted by that it would be great to be able to say that we could only say that if we had a an agreement with a like a group of clubs say that there was a minimum rate for these different slot the mc and the 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 opener closer all those sorts of things if if we had an agreement with a group that we could do that then we could advertise that and Mm. that would then be the rate some people wouldn't like that because they they think that that minimum rate would become the rate whereas they know they can negotiate more so there's always been that argument within the whole of the variety entertainment sector really they don't want to have minimum rates because Mm. they know they can negotiate something better themselves or they would hope they could in the future they want to be able to name their own price Mm. and that is their right you have equity minimum for actors and I'm wondering if you have an equity minimum for open spot for example for comedians yeah that's why we can't do it the reason we're able to have an equity contract for theatre is because there's a group of theatre managers there's a Society of London's theatres that cover all the West End and there's UK theatre that cover the touring venue contract and we negotiate with them annually on what the rates should be minimum rates for weekly for actors so we can do that with that group and we do that within their recorded media you know with BBC and with the independence so we have those agreements in place we need there to be another side that we can engage with and it needs to be not just one club it needs to be a significant employer group of employers so it, it is possible I mm. mean if jonglers had still been around it could have been possible some someone that's got loads and loads of clubs that could be possible we would have to then decide whether it's going to be worth us entering into that whether it's going to make people better off or worse off and if we thought it was going to make them better off then we'd do it hello uh just uh, interrupting the flow of the conversation to jump in and say that you might be about to hear a mid-roll advert and if you are you're one of the lucky ones because not everyone's going to be able to hear an advert and if you hear the advert it's specially chosen just for you. That's right, that's right, whatever it is. If it's about foot fungal cream or your bad breath, we've picked that specifically and targeted you through the algorithm at Acast. Mm, you're very bloody welcome. I wonder what it will be. Oh, It's like Christmas, this. You're not really sure what ad you're going to get, and you're not even sure if you're going to get one. You might have been horrible, and they might not want to give you an advert. Right, let's, let's see if you do. Ready? Here we go, here we go. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Oh. That 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 wasn't too painful, was it? That was all right. Uh, just just so you're aware, uh, if you didn't get an advert, I didn't get paid. If you did get an advert, I probably got paid about four p. So if you would like to get an episode of the podcast without any adverts in, you can become a Patreon from one dollar an episode, which skips this middle bit and any ads on it. Please check out that link in the show notes. It would really really help out the show and the future viability of this project. If you don't care about the future viability of the project or you just don't have the money to support it, either way, perfectly reasonable. Then uh, just carry on with your life. Um, if you don't have money right now, but you do want to come support me at some point. I'm doing a load of festivals and shows around the country with my new 2019 show, Every Room Becomes a Panic Room When You Overthink Enough. There's a link in the show notes that will tell you where I'm going to be. Check it out. That'd be really helpful. And uh, if you're going to be at the Edinburgh Festival, book a ticket, please. I'm going to be there for the entire month. And I am really proud of this show, but that's not relevant for right now. I'm not here to tell you how good the show is. I'm just telling you to tell you that it exists because that's how I market my shows. It is bloody good, but you don't want to hear that. You want to get back into the episode. I totally understand. Let's jump back in. I, I got a message from a, a friend of mine who was uh, uh, was an actor and now largely does comedy and he was talking about how it was easier for an actor to join and receive uh, benefits uh, associated with membership than he felt it is when he became a comic. Yeah. Um, and I wondered if you had anything to say on the difference between joining of those two things, whether whether it is actually sort of segmented in, internally for you guys as, you know, you join as an actor, you join as a comedian, you join us because obviously often those things okay. yeah. then diagram overlap. Shall I yeah. start a bit on that one? Yeah. I think up until, I think it was about three years ago, there was something like 72 different paths in mm. to joining equity, depending on what you did. Mm. But that was just not manageable for anybody for us for people to understand it mm. for anything so it is actually the same criteria now applies to everybody no matter what they do or mm. where they come from they need to be able to show us that they've earned 500 pounds or more from the entertainment industry mm. so as a performer as a director as a singer as a you know stand-up comedian as a juggler as a, as a whatever it might be that they do but it's it's that financial benchmark rather than mm. show me the contracts from that particular sector or show me what you've got from here. And when we say what we want, to, look, they need to show us what they've got. That's contracts, pay slips, invoices, any even bank statements that shows who's paid you. But just to mm. show that you've earned that. And it's not one contract. It can be any number that add up to £500 or more. So we've made it more straightforward. And in that, I think, we've sort of equaled out any differences that might have been there real or perceived mm. I think and then once somebody's in a card is a card is a card so we don't say you've joined as a comedian therefore you can only work in comedy 
or we only ever think yeah. of you as a comedian. You know, we have lots of people who've come in through one route and then do all sorts of other things. Um, comedian talking at uh, an event we did on Tuesday who describes herself as a comedian, a storyteller, a writer, mm. a director, and all of those things, but it's only one equity card. You know, it covers you the, whatever you're working in. I will go, because I had another question submitted which said that they went to drama school and they found that uh, you guys come into the school and have meetings with them before they leave so they're aware of equity and that is, is very useful for them. Mm. But they said when they left and they became a comedian they spoke to other people who do comedy courses and and you know like for example Oliver Double who runs something down in Kent which is like a more formalized university course mm. they don't get the same sort of outreach and they were wondering what kind of outreach you do and what elements of that you think you need to improve on to kind of get your message out to us better yeah absolutely we've done some work with the comedy school in london I'm right, yeah we've done some work with them around their events and things i mean it is you came to mine came to you yours, came to <laughs> came to yours <laughs> thank you for coming to that. no we will always go <laughs> yeah. to where comedians are i mean the challenge is i'll be inviting uh, you to the next one <laughs> please do yeah. we'd love to come but the challenge is comedians workplaces there's like two or three in a space two or three comedians four or five max in 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 one night so mm. whereas if you're in a drama school you've got everybody in the same space for a year so it's much easier to schedule getting in to see them and talk to them this is an excuse we just do it differently no, so no, it, we it, do a lot of stuff at festivals so the leicester comedy festival yeah. for example we do lots there we get around all the venues we get around as many of the shows as we can without actually moving to leicester for two weeks we always do a big event at at Leicester to really try and underpin that equity has a relationship and a role within comedy. So that's the, um, we set up the I Say annual comedy conversation and we've done, uh, so we've had Alexis Sale, Nicholas Parsons, Barbara Nice, Sarah Pascoe and this week and just gone Tom Allen did it for us. That's another way that we do about just trying to let comedians know that we are there for them and mm. they can come to us. We do similar stuff at Edinburgh. We get around as many of the venues as we can. We talk to people. We do a lot of identifying, writing to, emailing to, that kind of stuff. But it is generally harder to get a group of comedians in one space mm. than it is to get a group of actors because actors work in ensemble. I mean, that's yeah, what yeah, we do. There's yeah, always a bunch of them. But we do try and we are very mm. much open to ideas and suggestions. We've done um, sort of odd team, not, not that we're odd teams, but odd nights where we've done teamwork teams round the comedy mm. clubs in London and and then sort of choose a couple of nights and okay so two of us will go to a club and, and we just have a circuit that we get round we try and mm. talk to the comedians as much as possible mm. which involves a lot of standing around the bar maybe yeah, but that's Brighton's fine. another one Brighton's another Brighton, one we go yeah, to as well yeah, yeah. 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 So we do try, but we are really always open to ideas and suggestions about how to get in. But with the um, university comedy courses, and I'm probably at fault here, my understanding of them is, is that they're more <sighs> academic rather than practical. Right. They're not really, because we quite often get um, requests for research questions and can you tell us about this, that and the other to, to deal with research projects that those students are doing mm -hmm. rather than it being about here's a microphone, here's a stage, here's how you tailor an act, here's how you work out material, here you're running order, that, you know, the actual skills of comedy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm really happy to go and talk to or get colleagues to go and talk to those courses. Okay, and the, the Comedians Network are keen to engage with courses where they can as well. They thought about putting some videos stuff together uh, might be easier than trying to go there in person mm. sometimes if they've got some messages they want to uh, convey to the new people so yeah if there's significant courses we'd uh, definitely look at going we've got enough people out there on the road <laughs> to call in yeah. 
What do you think are the biggest areas of weakness for equity in relation to comedians? I think the circuit is just so disparate in a way, really, and it, it's changed such a lot. And some of the things they say is that people are coming out of comedy schools with the skills to set up their own, or they're, they're advised on how to set up their own nights and things. So it's just kind of spreading all over the place at the moment. Established clubs are better to work with than things that are just popping up all over the place. But it's mm. definitely a challenge to... Uh, well, and, and to get people to complain as well, to get people to complain when things are going wrong. Yeah. I mean, we've just done a survey on um, late night safety and sexual harassment and that sort of thing. So that's probably going to be our next push now to try to do something about that because the survey did uncover quite a lot of yeah. stuff going on out there. So there's, you know, the, the car sharing type scenarios mm-hmm. and... Um, you know inappropriate behavior that goes on actually in the clubs themselves sometimes it's the promoter sometimes it's other comedians sometimes Mm. it's the audience and about trying to do more to protect and create a safe environment so we were going to try to draw up some additions to the contract to have some kind of charter for venues to sign up to to protect we were very interested in um the work that samina zira and uh, zara and um seymour Seymour mace did yeah Yeah. that testimony stuff that 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 is really interesting to us for this sector and and will probably help as well impact on some of the things that we're talking about in that sort of guidelines code of conduct whatever we want to call Mm. it so like for reference for the listener that was an event that was done in edinburgh this year called tales of the unacceptable i have spoken to them this year and if we're doing another one i'm going to record that and put that as a podcast probably with a few names beeped um, just because i imagine that i'll get a lively sued Um, but yeah it was it was an amazing event and i was i don't think i was fully prepared going into it because it was a lot of people giving their experiences in in not necessarily graphic detail but a lot of detail and I knew a lot of them and so it it made me feel very uncomfortable in the sense that they hadn't come forward up to this point because they didn't feel like they could and yeah especially you know what was it week three of Edinburgh it was happening or something it was sort of that time anyway where everyone's feeling a bit vulnerable and yeah it was um yeah I I, I feel like that should definitely be happening more that that sort of event we are running, I mean, a response to uh, the Harvey Weinstein allegations, which are just over a year ago now. We did uh, a lot of work, and out of that came our Agenda for Change report, which is mm. sort of a blueprint for what we think the industry should be doing and changing. A lot of stuff has happened, a lot of stuff's mm. changed. Uh, we have a Safe Spaces campaign out of that. Uh, we have a harassment Ooh. phone number. Ooh, we have safe, email. Safe, safe Spaces campaign safe. is basically stating very clearly that a workspace is a safe space and, you know, harassment, bullying, this kind of poor behaviour simply will not be tolerated, mm-hmm. that um, everybody involved in that project, will there will not be a bystander. We will feel empowered to call it out, to raise it. We will be listened to, mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. It's around dignity at work, really, mm-hmm. I think. We have a harassment helpline. We have a harassment email. Email. And the thing is, again, I sometimes worry that, well, often worry that there is a perception that this is all about actors, and it's not. Mm. It's about anybody, any member who's facing any kind of bullying, harassment, discrimination, poor treatment. You know, that that's what unions do. That's what we're here for. So, you know, get in touch, basically. Yeah, as, as, as a comedian, mm. it... I think it's media-led perception more than anything because I I don't have a day-to-day like link with equity. I don't talk to you like yeah. as, on like a, a overly regular basis. But when I when I see things on TV or on the newspapers and stuff, it's always really actors talking, and and 
I think it comes down to well, one of the, I mean, one of the most interesting things I saw on your website, which again felt a little bit like it was geared towards actors, but that might be because I've just seen groups of actors getting together and then speaking out. And I feel mm. like with comedians, like we talked about before, yeah. your big fear sometimes is you won't get booked or you'll be seen yeah. as the problem maker or, or you'll be seen as um, someone who isn't just playing ball with the, the status quo yeah. or, or any, any of the quite frankly horrible excuses that we give for not speaking up. It, I mean, it's kind of odd because what, what, what would happen, I mean, say for example, say for example, I was told something and it's not my story. Can I put someone who's not a member in touch? We don't, well, we, we're happy to hear from somebody who's not a member, to be honest, um, when it comes to things like this. But third-hand stories are a bit harder to deal with. Of course, with of course. Because but we, I know there we are a lot of new from, performers want to hear from maybe... the actual person, yes. Mm. But um, we, we kind of want to know what's going on. We want people to talk to us about seemingly insignificant Mm. Or, or things that don't cross the line on legality, you know, things mm. that are just offensive, <coughs> sexist, racist, but not sufficient enough that the police would be interested. Because sometimes mm. the advice is you've got to get the police involved. Mm. Uh, but people can talk to us confidentially, tell us things that are going on. With a non-member, we're not going to be able to represent them. But mm. if it builds up a like a case file against a particular uh, person or, or organisation, you know, there's going to be members that are going to want to complain as well so ultimately we might be able to do something about that yeah yeah because it's it's one of those weird ones where like you said a, a lot of the stuff that's happening legally is so ambiguous yeah. that i can imagine that makes your job a bit of a nightmare because the reflection on your end could be well you're not doing anything but yeah. the reality is the law can't you know necessarily dictate over certain acts or certain things that maybe it should but also, yeah. but also, maybe it can't just because of the grey area of the arts being what it is. Yeah. So, so how? I mean, maybe are you lobbying for change in that area? What's what's happening? Sometimes it's not necessarily about the law. Sometimes it's workplaces. Whatever the workplace should have policy mm-hmm. in place, which is not necessarily the law, mm-hmm. but it is about what we in this building, in this club, in this venue expect. This is how we expect people to mm. treat each other. This is how we expect people to behave. So there mm. should be some of those policies. <coughs> there are things that can be done under health and safety um, law, duty of care, duty of care to, to people who are in your building, in your space, in your club, whatever, mm. who you're working with. So there are lots of ways of approaching this rather than just say it's assault, it's, it's you know, within covered by um, sexual misdemeanor legislation or whatever it might be. There are lots of different ways of approaching it and yeah. we, we will use all of them. Well, Because again, I think the, the path after reporting something is mm. what I think people get scared of sometimes yeah. because they're not sure where their information is going to be used or where their words are going to be passed on to and what's happening. So let's, let's role play for it. Like, let's say mm-hmm. someone called up and wanted to report something that was... Uh, let, let's say a sexual offence. Where's that information going to go? What's the process, and and how is how are they dealt with? Yeah, so it could be reported on our um, sexual harassment line, our, our dedicated helpline, for mm-hmm. example. The person there would refer it to the organiser. Could be someone like myself if it's my area. So if it's a London kind of non-theatre type workplace, then that would come to me. And then we would have to talk to that person to find out what 
to do next depending on the the case it could be if it's serious enough it could be that they have to go to the police about it it could be something that we take up if they want us to take up with the promoter or the club or potentially the other artists but really it's the employer that we're looking to do something about this so it's just going to be on a a case-by-case basis really so it's either a police matter or an industrial matter they may not want to do anything they may they may just want to talk to somebody about it which is often the case so um you know that might be good enough that they they don't want a definite outcome out of it they just want to tell somebody that it's happened and they they want to say it in confidence mm. and leave it at that really um, yeah, we're always led really by what the member wants you know it's it's their situation so we will support we will help we will represent advise. we will advise yeah. we will do all sorts of things but we can't force somebody to go to the police and of we course. can't force them to, and nor would we out them if you like without their you know express consent that they want us to go and then talk to the employer or they want us to talk to the other artist or they want us to talk to the agent or the casting person mm. or who or, you know the tv exec or whoever it is that they feel they've got you know this, this this difficulty with but we don't just go off and do that without their full consent knowledge and and a bit of a plan mm, really yeah. about what's going to be said what we want to do what they you know and what they want out of it because you know sometimes it's um i can't work in this space anymore i need to be mm. got out the contract i need to be got out you know that's okay we can manage that out it might be i want an apology that can be organized it might be i don't want anything i just wanted to say it out loud to somebody who would believe me be heard yeah mm. or listen to me mm. or you know will not laugh at me or not dismiss me or not mm. devalue me or those sorts of things i mean you know it, it's very much or make yeah, excuses yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's very much around what that individual particularly wants or needs and and i assume that if they called up were open about who they are what happened and said i would like to take it further but i don't want my name being included does mm. that damage what you can do or the case taken forward like what what's where does that put you the, definitely uh, a limit to what you can do with an anonymous uh, mm. type complaint i mean you can't go to court i mean if you're owed money for example you can't mm. go to court as a anonymous person you have to put your name forward so we would have to work out with them whether we can talk to the employer without them being able to identify mm. that person so that could be the Tricky. plan if it, yeah. well if if there's enough if they're if they're seeing enough people and they're not going to be able to work it out if they're going to be able to work it out it's pointless being anonymous mm. isn't it yeah so yeah i mean that that is difficult if it's if the particular promoter doesn't book that many women and it's a woman complaining and it's fairly soon after the event yeah they're, they're going to struggle to do it anonymously but it, it's unlikely to be something that's going to be able to go to court anyway with that sort of behavior it's either a police matter a criminal matter there isn't really necessarily a breach of contract angle that you can claim financial damages for to go to the county court. So, well, yeah. What, 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 I mean, say, could, I mean, say that, say there is a promoter, although it almost certainly is, but say there was a promoter who is doing something like that. Yeah. And they, and they come forward and, and, a, and obviously that promoter is never going to book that act again if yeah. they know who that person is. But then, like you say, they might not want to work with them again. They won't want to work with them. Yeah. Are, are they just allowed to keep promoting? Like, is there is there a list of promoters that have had strikes against them that you guys have publicly that we, you know means people can, yeah. people know who to avoid? We we can't put anybody on our as called a court judgments list. 
used to be called a for your special attention list we used to be able to put people on a list that we would advise that you didn't work for or that you contacted equity before working for and we could pretty much put somebody on that list for for lots of reasons for bullying and things like that Mm. now we've been told by the information commissioner's office you know the data protection people that we can only put somebody on if we've got a court judgment against them because that's a fact Right. Okay. It's not contestable in any way. It's it's you know plain fact. That is the limit. That's the only time we can put somebody on that list. You know, in, informally we might be able to address a direct yeah. inquiry, but we certainly can't publish anything about somebody. We've been told unless it's we've got to the judgment stage. I suppose there's a a gap there between legality and and like you said, because some of these things can't be dealt with legally yeah. so so if if you can't deal with it legally they can't go to court which means they can't be on a list and it sort yeah. of feels like that that gap or loophole even yeah is is helping cause problems yeah i mean there is there is definitely a gap there yeah, yeah. Is, so is, that, that's a situation that we probably have to talk to the promoter about rather right. than actually look yeah. at legal action and we certainly couldn't publish details right um could, like you said, Samina and, and Seymour are doing, I'm pretty, I'm not going to say they are going to do something like this, but they're out there doing stuff and, and I think it's fair to name mm. them on the, I'll, I'll message them before to make sure they're okay with their name being in it. But yeah. if if comedians wanted to have a list of people, would you get involved and be like, well, hang on, that's not allowed? We, we, might, we might talk about whether we could get legal advice on what's allowed. You know, because because it could be if they, that the promoter libels you then for saying I'm well. Hang on, I've never been legally prosecuted. Yeah, we, that's we it. All, you would be opening yourself up for libel if you yeah printed anything. It's, that's it's kind of a frustrating. It, it, you know, it's massively frustrating. But I mean, sort of the basic rule of thumb is don't name people unless you are prepared to actually take that forward as a proper claim and a proper case. That that's probably. Um, Really, because as you were saying, you were thinking earlier on in this conversation, you were sort of saying you might bleep some names out. Mm. Yes, <laughs> very much do. Yeah, that that that's part of it. So walking around saying X is this based on hearsay, rather than saying X did this to me. I can, I've got records of it. I've got dates. I've got times. There were other people around whose names I can come up with. You know, it was this place. It was this time, and I want to take that as an actual complaint forward then then you know it gets it's best not to name them. i think there's everything on the me too stuff um, okay i'm not quite sure how to no, i mean our message yeah. about the me too stuff is basically it's always going to be case by case because these things are very personal i mean that that's yeah. you know the very nature of whether they're casual sexism mm. or casual harassment if mm. that's even a thing mm. it still feels very very personal so members are facing any of those kind of difficulties we would just say get in touch and we will listen and we will talk and we will work out whatever it is that is going to be best for that person would it be as we're talking before about banding together and having like a group of people and and that sort of event would it be more helpful for you if someone who and and by the way i'm not just off the top of my head thinking if someone had had an experience with someone within the industry and they found out other people had had a similar thing, would it be better for them to say, me and 10 other people have this thing they want to talk to you about? Would that be a stronger case? Even if, it's, even if again, it's not something legally that could be pursued, mm. would that enable you to act or shut down their gig or 
whatever it is. Yeah, it would be interesting to to try something on that base if you've got enough people. Because certainly with the Weinstein thing, it wasn't mm. because it was one complaint. Oh, no, it was yeah, because yeah. people were coming up from all over the place saying it happened to me as well. You know, exactly mm. the whole Me Too thing. So, yes, I'd, I think it would strengthen the case and possibly increase the chances of action. So, yes, but exactly what action is difficult to say hypothetically mm. what is possible. What's the what's the telephone number just for the reference of people at home? 0207-670-0268. Okay, and you can ring that if you're not a member as well, just you if can, you want to report stuff. You I mean, can, but uh, as Mike said, we can't represent and yep. we can't... But yeah, there are um, other helplines that the industry have put together. There's one that the cinema... I've forgotten what it's called now. It used to be... It's one of the charities that used to work mm. specifically with cinema and film TV workers. They have a helpline that anybody can phone who works in the industry and uh, theatre... Employers have also put one together, um, which again, anyone can phone from any sector of the industry. And just because they're called theatre or film or cinema, does not it doesn't preclude. Mm. It basically means live performance and recorded yeah. performance. That's really what mm. it comes down to. So yeah, th- those are out there as well. Well, in in if I'll email you in the podcast yeah. notes, there will be links to all these things we'll so people can. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's worth just because we had this sort of yeah. chat about it, mm. so people know mm. they can talk up if they want to and, and yeah. are willing to listen even if they're not a member we have had some successes at uh with sexual harassment at tribunal level mm. we certainly have where people have come forward and it has not harmed their career i right. think that's quite important to say that's very important yeah. To hear. yeah yeah and 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 successful outcomes you know so they are completely possible and it Mm. We would just encourage people. I think the difference with the Weinstein thing is is that an incredibly powerful person, because sexual harassment is all about power, and mm. that's really what it is, an incredibly powerful person has, and it has been shown that they are facing consequences for their actions. And that's the difference. That's actually the, mm. the sort of really crucial message, I think, that actually somebody that huge and powerful, who everyone thought was untouchable, mm. is in fact not untouchable and will be facing you know challenge and consequences and all those sorts of things and so mm. the more people that come forward the more people that raise these things the more challenges to those sorts of um, bad power relationships will happen mm. Mm. Uh, i've got the last few questions to ask you but i'm just trying to think about a segue okay. so that it's uh, so it's a lighter uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get away from harassment let's talk yeah. about something else so uh well i mean okay so career advice Oh, okay. um, a few people have asked, who do they actually speak to when they call up about career advice? Is it a comedian? Is it one of you guys? Is it is it someone who's been sort of a veteran, like like you said? Mm. Yeah, who was it? Um, Alexi, Alexi, Alexi. So, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, right. So we have careers advisors who are performers and writers. Uh, we have two at the moment, Paul and Bev. Um, they. I'm trying to think. I think. They're mainly from an acting background, but they have done all sorts, basically. Uh, And people can book a one-to-one session with them. They are trained to the uh, National Gold Matrix standard for delivering information, advice and guidance. Um, And they know the industry inside out and they're good on just all sorts of, you know, the peculiarities of the entertainment business rather than than a standard careers advisor. Mm. Otherwise, uh, people will phone the relevant organiser in the in the building we call them organizers so it's a person who has an area of responsibility so like micah's variety light entertainment mm-hmm. cabaret mm-hmm. circus for example we have a bbc organizer we have a mm. film tv organizer whatever quite often they'll come through to me and i know quite a lot about mm. all sorts of sectors and stuff and we can signpost and direct and, and talk we can do that so no they're not going to be speaking to somebody who doesn't have any 
grounding or understanding mm. of the industry. That's that's not mm. what it's about, really. It's about peer-to-peer, and it's about people who work and understand this very peculiar landscape in which we all operate. And that's included in your membership, oh, yeah. so it's yeah. not like a, a no. paid... No, no, they can talk to me ten times, fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I understand the, the mm. curiosity there, mm. because... Uh, as we briefly spoke about before the podcast died, there are, I mean, anyone could start a comedy course. You yes. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and as yeah. a result, uh, if you've never done comedy before or, you, or you're not in the industry yet, mm. you know, go to Squarespace, make a professional looking website in minutes, as mm. they say, mm. use my discount code. And, and <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're able to, you know, do something like that. And obviously you guys mm. are much more professional than anyone who could just do that. Yeah. But obviously I think it's worth people noting that you're not going to just be calling you know, sort of someone who's never gigged before. No, no, yeah. no, no. no. It, it's, it's, well, we, we've never been on stage, but we understand mm. sort of the ins and outs of it and the ramifications and how you get to be on stage, mm. those processes and, and, and things. But um, we do, again, at Edinburgh, for example, we always have um, a week of workshops and events and so on, but we also have a drop-in, which mm. uh, where anybody can just come in and find us or our colleagues from our um, Glasgow office who also throughout the festival then have drop-in days um, in Edinburgh for people to come and ask advice and just bring your CV or ask, you know, whatever. I mean, they're all, yeah, we're all pretty uh, well-versed and we do we do a lot of that kind of outreach where mm. we go to where people are yeah. and get them to talk to us about whatever it is they need to talk to us about. Drop-ins, from our perspective, drop-ins are great because we have no idea what's going to come at us. So that's yeah. really keeps you on your toes and mm. it's interesting and sometimes it's really fascinating but we've never so far touch wood has something that we haven't been able to help with or signpost onto mm. or look into a bit more deeply okay. yeah and and pensions is another okay. thing on your website which i think most comedians a don't think about and b don't think is an option mm. in this industry because you know you're, you're like you say you're a freelance business essentially yeah. um and and it talks a bit about how you know you can pay into it and and that sort of stuff so what do you offer in terms of a pension for a for a member? Yeah, so the the, the pension scheme's there, and it's very easy to, to register. It's just a mm. case of making the one phone call and, and getting a number. Mm. Where it really benefits you is if you're working on one of the standard contracts in theatre or in, in television, Already. because then the employers put mm. in money that you wouldn't otherwise have got. If you're just investing, but you're not working for any of those employers, then you're just putting in your own money. There's, there's nobody, no employer putting in some as well. Mm. I don't think it's possible to set up a, a scheme for promoters to put money into the pension scheme as employers just because mm. of the nature of the contract. Mm. But people do go from comedy to work for the big employer. So, you know, for the sake of making a phone call and having a pension, mm. they may as well do it. They may as well try and put some money into it mm. um, because the, the sooner they do that, the more likely they are to see a return when they retire. Mm. So yeah, the longer it, it's been in there, the better. Yeah, it's um, it's a pension scheme that has been designed to recognise the slightly up and down working life of mm-hmm. of our members so it's not something you have to contribute to every month so there's a lot more flexibility about when you put think put money into it obviously if you can that's marvelous but mm. you might not be able to um it's this hybrid between a personal pension and mm. one that certain employers will pay into when you're working for them so that makes it quite interesting um another 
um, organisations have kind of tried to copy that model. So it is very much tailored around the, the up and down working patterns, lifestyles of, of performers. But yeah, I think Mike sort of explained quite mm. well how it works. But if you are working, say, you know, on doing a comedy thing on Radio 4 or whatever, then, then this is a payment above your fee. So you get your mm. fee and then they'll pay a bit more directly into your pension scheme. So why not? Because mm. it costs nothing to get into it and you might as well have one, you know. Mm. Um, names. Now, I know you, you mm. historically, you make sure everyone has a unique name. We yeah. do, yeah. Still do. Yeah. A few people have said, well, let's say my name's John Smith. There's a fair number of ex-John Smiths on the circuit who maybe yeah. have built up a name for themselves, even though their name is not unique, if you like, and it might already be taken. How do you deal with that in terms of making sure that people who you know because if, if you let's say you spent eight to ten years getting to a stage where you could join equity because you mm. have built yeah. that up and you've built a reputation you might not want to change your stage yeah. name and, and and compromise that because that's part of your brand and part of your business that's right how is yeah. that dealt with well i mean some people do join under a slightly different name but continue to use the name that they've established because the name's already taken a lot of high profile people you might have known have decided at that point just change the name have something completely different and and that is of benefit to them Mm. but we would still if somebody was performing under one name but we knew them as something else we would still represent them but it can become difficult when when there's royalties involved in Mm. when you're working on pro to make sure they send the money to the right person it is ideal that you, you you use you're consistent about the name that you use mm. in your career but i would say to anybody don't let it stop you joining and and having the other other benefits so you mm. can make a a subtle change to your name so that it's a unique equity name mm. and then you know still keep on using the brand name that you've been using yeah, we try to keep a record whenever possible of an actor name as well don't we yeah so, so so people have a legal name, an equity name, and an act name mm. within mm. the records. Within the, within their membership records. So, you know, some people have their... I mean, quite often with drag acts and things, for example, mm. they're, they're not always... Um, their equity name isn't always their drag act name. Mm. Yeah, and burlesque and... Burlesque and some of things. those sorts of yeah. places, and children's entertainers, you know. So, uh, and some comedians, actually, when I think about it. Mm. But, yeah, so we keep a record so we can try and identify, because, as Mike says, a lot of this is about money. Mm. It's about royalties, it's about residuals, it's about making sure that the right person's getting the money. A lot of it is about brand mm-hmm. recognition, mm. um, and some of it's around not getting yourself into trouble for passing off where you're si- where people think you're going out under their name and therefore you are taking mm. their work because people are booking you because they think you're the other person. Mm. You know, and that can get very messy. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. No, completely. So, unique names are good, if at all possible. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, last question. Um, if you had one bit of advice for a non-equity member who is who has never considered joining but would like to, what would you say to them? Well, it's hard not to say, come and join us, come and get involved, mm. because until you do, you won't know what you're missing effectively. You may mm. think you're paying out a certain amount a year for a bit of insurance and a bit of you know help if you need it but actually meeting other members doing the same thing as you can be mm. a very good thing because particularly on the circuit you, you might not see that many people yeah you know you might be very alone whereas if you come to a room and there's 20 people for example you might get more out of that 
Mm. He might learn more from that than you do in a year on your own. Mm. So, yeah, come and get involved. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're obviously going to say it's a good thing. And we were, <laughs> you know, obviously, um, you know, some people say I can't afford it. And we'd probably say, well, the answer to that is you probably can't afford not to. Because in terms mm. of money, um, it's most people do it direct debit. It's just over £10 a month. That's what it works out at, which is, you know, two and a half coffees, something like that a month. Mm. And, and this is a slightly more lasting effect. I don't know. Um, it is a bit of a community. It is that I think there is a relief if you are experiencing something that you know someone's got your back, that you mm. know you can phone up, then they will understand what on earth it is you are talking about. Mm. So, you know, we get people from other sectors who use the most extraordinary props and, and start phoning us up and talking about sort of fire props and all kinds of things and we actually know what they're on about and they mm. find that quite mm. reassuring and helpful so we sort of understand the world we understand the pressures we understand the um very peculiar nature of working in the entertainment industry where you're a freelance where you're traveling a lot where you're working at night when nobody else is the pressure mm. that puts on relationships the pressure it puts on your mm. finances we do sort of get it and that's quite mm -hmm. a big part of why people want to be you know involved really mm. well thank you very much for coming on thank, thank you. you that was michael and louise oh i loved hearing about the future of equity how they're trying to successfully flush out guilty parties within the industry without negatively impacting the careers of the victims i uh I put some links in the show notes that louise gave me for places that you can go if you would like to voice something that's happened to you in the industry or you would like to speak out or have yourself be heard about anything within the Me Too movement that you would like to be taken seriously and maybe even progress that into a legal sense. So if you want to check out those links, please do. Please do speak out if you can, because it's how things change, and um, that's that's really important. And uh, I, I loved hearing about what I'm paying for with equity. I loved hearing about the future of the organization i loved hearing about like literally just what they don't do because some i've never bothered asking them what they don't do which gives me a better understanding of what they do do and so i now know when i email them for stuff that i'm not you know like i'm just i'm not gonna annoy them in that way that was really exciting um a little exclusive for you for making it this far into the episode uh, I am working with Equity to do another festival meet and greet at the Edinburgh Festival. Keep your eyes out for that. If you want the most up-to-date information on that event, please join the Facebook group. It's called RC Industry Podcast, and it's on bloody Facebook, isn't it? So, um, yeah, if you do that, then you'll you'll find out who's going to be on it and what we're doing and where. It's uh, Yeah, it's exciting, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, after you join the Facebook group, join our Patreon you can do it from $1 an episode. Oh, that's 80p. 80p? It's a freaking bargain, mate. If you can support the podcast from 80p, you get these episodes ad-free. You also get emails ahead of time, ahead of, even ahead of the Facebook group, to let you know when we're going to be doing live meetups uh, and industry events. And if you can't do that, but you want to donate something, you can do that on PayPal, which is on my website, simonkane.co.uk. If you can't afford anything right now, that's perfectly understandable. Give us a review. Ideally five stars, but if not a four star that reads like a five star will be just as good. Everything and any support is really appreciated. The Ask the Industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days time. Bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.